Brilliant. I'm going to invite uh, Michael up. Um, now, Michael is our speaker this morning. He is um, uh, an alumni. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. Um, when did you do uni fellowship? Between 2013 and 2018. Okay, cool. A long time ago now. <laughs> Feels Great. like a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. That's about four years, isn't it? Mm. And so um, what do you do with yourself now? Yes. Where did you wind up? Yeah, so I um, teach criminology at the uni. Um, so I teach child protection, juvenile justice, um, and an introductory criminology unit, uh, which is, yeah, pretty fun, I think. Great. Yeah. So and you, you were saying this morning there's more people here than your normal lectures? That's right. So there you go. What a treat for you. It's great. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been recording... I'm sure you've all seen the meme where it's like, this is what my parents think I do. This is what I actually oh, yeah. do. Um, it's like being a lecturer. This is what society thinks I do. And you think of Harrison Ford of Indiana Jones. You know? uh, and then it's like what the students think I do. And you think of like a really you know, attractive guy with a podcast, you know, with the fancy you know, recording booth. And there's just me and in my office just with a tiny little microphone recording. So it's nice to be in a room with real people. Um, yeah, brilliant. Great. And so uh, you went through um, uni fellowship um, and you've gone through uni. Can you share with the group what's like a study skill or like a uni kind of life hack or kind of a tip that you were like, oh, I wish I got told that at uni and I had to get to the end and that's really annoying. Yeah. Um a really easy way to find literature for your essays is to use the ones that the lecturer has and put them through Web of Science or Google Scholar and see what has cited those articles. So rather than you looking for random stuff, it's like, put those in, that's the most recent stuff which is used to... Yeah. All right, we've got some nods, so people are clearly going... <laughs> yeah, good. Give us another one, because that was great. Uh, I think... Use um, your ref. I write essays, so I'm sorry if you're a science person. Read about three articles just for the introduction and the literature review, and then if you have similar um, articles of the same theme, you can just skip that bit and go straight to the discussion point to fill in the rest of your essay. Great, there you go. Well, he's here all morning, almost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you uh, tell us, uh, Michael? Um, why is uni fellowship worth kind of sticking with, um, being involved in, dropping in regularly uh, for your time at uni, whether you would say that you're a Christian um, or whether you would say, I'm not sure, working out, or you just go, I'm not. Um, why is it worth sticking with us? Yeah, good question. I think if you're a Christian, it provides an environment within which you can really wrestle with the serious things of Christianity and receive good teaching. So I remember one of the first pre-seasons I went to, um, it was Alan Reader, who I'm not sure still works with you no, guys. No. He, was, he was there when I was here, and he said um, that it's about giving the same quality that you receive in your lectures here in teaching theology. And so for me, I think that's something that I really benefit from Uni Fellowship. Lifelong friends, all my mates that I hang out with, I met through here in Uni Fellowship. Um, Michael Risk, one of the uh, Faith's pastor, uh, for example. 
Um, and I think if you're not a Christian, this provides a safe place for you to hear thorough exegesis and uh, rigorous apologetics of the Christian faith. I think there's so many different voices out there, but if you come here, you know that you can trust what you're hearing has been well thought through. The people here care for you and they want you to explore Christianity uh, as best you can. Mm, great. Uh, you've alluded to it a little bit in um, that answer, but what was a key way or a number of ways that you were particularly changed through your time at Uni Fellowship? How, how, how did you grow? How are you not the person at the end that you were going in? Yeah, I think one of the ways was that when I came into um, Uni Fellowship, I was very much thinking that it was my works and things I could do and partaking in the sacraments that was a way to salvation and relationship with God. But it's through Uni Fellowship that I was modelled, it was modelled to me what a serious, um, inquisitive and genuine faith looks like. And so for many years, I received nourishment from the staff here in the pulpit and in pastoral care. Um, and unfortunately, we don't always have the same time within the church. And so the time you invest now, um, I assure you, once you enter into the workforce, um, you'll be missing the, the length of the sermons, the, the length of the studies, and the time to think and chat with like-minded people. And so um, I think mm. they're the ways that I was changed, having that investment and yeah. Um, reflection. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. Great. Well, um, can I pray for you? Um, and then I'll hand over to you. And we're going to be looking at glorification this morning, our last talk. Uh, well, almost in our identity series um, of what makes you, you. So please pray with me if you're comfortable. Lord and God, we thank you that you are a God that does care for us, that is interested in us, uh, that wants to know us, um, and even knows about our day and all that is before us um, when we leave this morning. And so as we pause and think together um, and kind of yawn into the day, uh, that you would um, work among us by your spirit in a way that would help us make sense of you uh, and our future, uh, ourselves now and ourselves then, and that we would live today um, in response to that. Uh, whether we know you or don't know you, that this whole idea of glorification would do us well um, and um, change us in similar ways uh, like uh, Michael has shared. In Jesus' name, agree? Amen. Thanks. Great. So over the course of this series, we've been examining how that which we think and the values we hold intersect to create our identity. And indeed, that's why over the course of this series, we've been looking at how our ideologies, how our values intersect to shape how we think, how we see the world around us, and as well, how we perceive the Christian faith. And in a similar way, our theology, whether it is well-formed or in its infancy, too, shapes our identity. Indeed, that which you think about Christ and the scriptures and some of the key doctrines of the Christian faith always reflect on your identity and how you see the world around you. And this is why we've been looking at some of the key doctrines of the Christian faith in this series thus far, and why I've been charged to speak with you this morning on the topic of 
glorification. And I put it to you that if this is correctly understood, this doctrine, and readily meditated upon, it will change our identity, it will change our priorities, and it will change our lifestyle. And so today we have three headings to lead us. I like alliteration. So we'll have uh, the context or the concept. We'll then have a case study and we'll be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and parts of Revelation 21 as well. So please keep open your Bible or get it out or your phone. Uh, and then I'm going to give you some counsel or a charge, what we do with it. So let's start with the concept. So glorification. Glorification is a theological, technical term, to use the words of J.I. Packer, describing what is the final stage of the auto salutis, which is a Latin expression meaning the order of salvation. And just like the butterfly has a series of stages of development, so too does the Christian. And we see this in the New Testament, that there are distinct stages of the Christian's development. Uh, Distinct stages of God working in the lives of his elect. And it is these stages which are included within the Auto Salutis. And one of the famous passages referring to the Auto Salutis, I'm sure you've heard of it before, is in Romans 8. Romans 8, where we read this from verses 29 to 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who uh, he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So we have a number of stages included within this process, as you've heard of being predestined by God, that is unconditionally selected amongst the elect. We then have calling, that is to say, God brings the individual to saving faith in Christ by the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing the dead to spiritual life. And as you heard earlier in this series as well, there is also justification. And that's where the individual is declared righteous or not guilty in the sight of God. And this is by virtue of faith in the atonement of Christ's righteousness and forgiveness of sins. You probably already know that, but that's where we're at. And then we have glorification. So glorification may be understood as the completion of salvation, whereby at the last day the Christian is perfected, completely cleansed of sinfulness, so perfection of the soul and is raised in an imperishable body at the last day full uh, free of any fault whatsoever so glorification is the completion of the salvific and restorative work of Jesus Christ that has been preordained by God and he will bring to completion at the end of time when Christ returns where our bodies and souls are cleansed and perfected so we read of this in 1 Thessalonians 4 Verses 16 to 17, where we read, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, After that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So glorification may be understood as the completion of our salvation, whereby at the last day the Christian is perfected, completely cleansed of sinfulness, and is raised in an imperishable body 
free of earthly fault. So in terms of, that's our concept. In terms of our case study, you may remember that the Apostle Paul talks about uh, the raising of the body and the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you could please turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And though it's an extended argument, we're going to mainly look at the last parts there from verses 42. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verses 42 to 54. And this is what we read. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man uh, was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born, in the, uh, born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be all changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So here we see that the last day that the Christian will be raised in a spiritual body, one that cannot decay as our mortal bodies do. And this is not to say spirit as in like a ghost. Now, that's not what's being described here but rather, again, perfection of the body. Theologian Wayne Grudem describes it as, and I quote, completely subject to the will of the Holy Spirit, not at all non-physical, but it is a, a physical body raised to the degree of perfection for which God originally had intended it, end quote. So our bodies now will be perfected. And the Apostle Paul in verses 35 to 40 uses the imagery of a seed, uh, and wheat. And so this reminds us that our body we have now is the one that will be perfected. So in all that discussion, the Apostle Paul is emphasising the importance of our body now and how it will be even better uh, than what it is now into the future. And indeed, you will recall that Christ himself appeared bodily to his disciples after his resurrection. And you'd remember that the Apostle Thomas doubted him. And in John's Gospel, we see him um, encounter Christ in that wonderful way. In Philippians 3.21, we read, Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be raised like his glorious body. So our renewed bodies will not rust. They will not decay. Our minds will not succumb to disease of dementia. Our bodies will not become grey and wrinkly and tired. But instead, it will be imperishable. 
and that's in verse 42. It will not reduce in strength or ability. We're raised in power in verse 43. And we won't suffer any ailment. You might remember the famous verse from Revelation 21, verse 4. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. So if you're here this morning and you're unwell, in body or mind, take heart in knowing that in the coming age, you will be in perfect health. Your body will be restored. Your mind will be restored. The health of your loved ones will also be restored if they are in Christ. There'll be no more depression. There'll be no more anxiety. Any disease you fear, it will not be present in the new heavens and the new earth. So we can rest in that assurance in that sense. But also it's more than only the physical body that is renewed. It's also the spirit. So glorification too involves the perfection of our soul. Indeed, those of us who have repented and trusted in Christ, yes, we are justified and we are being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit, but sin still dwells within us. Uh, An American pastor, John MacArthur, um, says that sin is within us like an incurable virus within our very bloodstream. And so, and for as long as we live on this earth, we will wrestle with sin and we will have to put it to death with the help of the Spirit. And again, we know this from the book of Romans. Um, You might remember Paul's um, confusing but um, very wise statements in verse 15. I do not understand what I, sorry, in chapter 15, verse 5, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but, uh, but hate, but what I hate, I do. And if I, <laughs> and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, if I do... <laughs> Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. And so that that experience of having sin within us and wrestling with sin, I'm sure is something that you experience on a daily basis. I'm not sure um, if you remember abacuses um, at school. The, remember the little um, the things with all the beads and you move it from one side to the next? That's, I'm showing my age here. But when I go home and I think of my day, it's like that. I can think of all the sins I've committed. I tally them up. It's like, yes, I, I spoke rudely to that person. I was impatient with this, this person. You, I'm sure you can do the same. You can tally them over there on the right-hand side. But we can be encouraged that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will no longer have sin reigning and dwelling within us. We will be cleansed of sin. And this is because we will be like Christ. We will be perfected. So in John's first letter, we read in chapter 3 at verse 2, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. And later at verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. For we know that at the return of Christ, he will put an end to sin and death. And again, we read this in Revelation. In the last few chapters of Revelation, we see that Satan is defeated, that death is defeated, and both are once and for all destroyed by God. And in turn, we have the hope of 
being cleansed and being like Christ. So we will be free from sin. And so is that what you think of when you think of the new heavens and the new earth? Or are you only thinking of your mortal body and how it will be better? Reflect on how the sinful struggle will come to an end and you'll be pure in God's sight. We will have no guilt. You'll have no shame. The sin that you're struggling with, that perhaps hiding from your friends, will be no more. The shameful past that you might hold will be no more. And all the sins that you and I commit and we're not even aware of, as Psalm 19 says, Lord, forgive me of my hidden faults. These two will be forgiven. And so be encouraged that one day you will not feel guilt and you'll be free from sin. And both of those things are good, but we must remember when we think of glorification, the ultimate treasure, the ultimate blessing which comes with purification, and that is living with Christ for all eternity. In Revelation 21, that famous description of the resurrection and the new creation in verses 1 to 8, God dwelling with his people is discussed in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be them with them, and he will be their God. The point of being pure from sin is that we can then live in perfect relationship with God. We will no longer be distant from God. He will be ever-present with us. We will no longer... Uh, wonder what he looks like because we will see him as you see me and I see you. And everything that we are limited in now will be perfected. Worship will be unhindered. Our minds will not wander and we will experience true and holy worship with God. It's important to note that there in that passage in Revelation, that this discussion of God dwelling with his people in verse 3 of chapter 21 of Revelation is before the discussion of the blessings of purification of the body. And within that very verse, three times is it stressed by the Apostle John that we will live with God and God will live with his people. And so when you're thinking of the new heavens, are you thinking of this? Are you thinking of your relationship with God that you will experience Christ? Too readily we can uh, only think about the blessings of the body, that we will be perfect, or freedom from sin. But we must remember what the ultimate point of this is, being with Christ forever. The legal expression uh, that I learned at law school many years ago encapsulates this well, restitutio in integrum, the restoration of the original condition. That's what God is doing. And that's what the auto salutis describes. He's completing the restoration. And we know too from Revelation that all of creation will be restored at that final day. There'll be no sin anywhere. And so when you think about the new heavens and the new earth, think bigger. Don't just think about the body. Think about Christ. So that said, what does all this mean? So what? Let's offer some recommendations. So firstly, it should fundamentally change how you and I see ourselves. 
So our future state of being should reflect in how we see ourselves now and how we live out our lives now. So we live in a world, I don't need to tell you this, that says it's very important to be concerned. I think there are two polar opposites. There's one which says that the body is the temple, not of the Holy Spirit, just your temple, and you have to look after it. You have to be slim, you have to be muscular, you have to look like Thor, you know, or Scarlett Johansson, whatever. That's what you have to look like. And if you're not that, you have to work on being like that. So we have that on one stage, this toxic, suffocating, you know, ideal of the masculinity and femininity. But on the other hand, I think in the church we can go the other way. And often is the case in the church, we swing the pendulum perhaps too far and we can think, no, the body doesn't matter at all. It's only the spirit. And in turn, it means that we're not appreciating the fact that we are made in the image of God, that the body that we now have will be the one we have, though it will be perfected, in the next world. And so we have to be careful about these two extremes on the pendulum. And so with you in your identity, if you struggle with issues of, you know, maybe you don't like your body, or maybe you feel pressured to have a certain type of body, reflect on the value that your body has because it's made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. And we see that it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body has value, infinite value. But on the other hand too, if you're, perhaps I, I go more this side of diminishing the, the position of the body. Um, I remember a few years ago when I quit the gym and my friends said, why did you quit the gym? And I said to them, because physical training is of little value, which you might remember is from 1 Timothy 4. Needless to say, I need to tell myself that the body does matter. I need to steward my body. I need to love and care for my body. So whichever you fall into, be wary of bringing it back to the centre and reflecting on glorification helps us do that. It should also change how we're looking uh, to what we're looking for as the foundations of our identity. So you're in a stage of life where you're training to become um, various types of professions. You might be in music or law or medicine or science or the humanities, whatever it is. And every time you meet someone, you identify yourself as I'm an art student, I'm a law student, I'm a music student, whatever. You say this enough, you spend all your time in the university. This can become your identity. Now, it's good to study. It's good to identify with what you hope to be. But we must remember that this can become an idol. You're, you're not your degree. You're not your profession. And if you place too much value in this, you will be disappointed. You might not get the job that you want. You might never become a lawyer. You might not finish your degree. You might become unwell. Putting our identity in these things are fleeting. Thinking of glorification helps us to have the right mindset of where our identity is. It's in Christ. And we find nourishment and support in that. And so for you this morning, if you know that you're someone who's a high achiever and you see a lot of identity uh, in your work, repent. 
Turn to Christ. Ask him to help you put him as your the as the foundation of your identity rather than your degree. Secondly, it should change our priorities. So Wayne Grudem, again, we mentioned him before, in talking about glorification, describes how in one sense we're in the pathway of glorification now. God is um, glorifying us through sanctification, but we will have that final glorification, as we said. So in 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Apostle Paul Again, speaking about the transformative work of the Lord Jesus, notes how the Christians are already being transformed into the image of Christ, where we read, And we all who, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as such, since we're being transformed into the image of God by the work of the Spirit, we should be aligning ourselves now to that work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul talks about renewing our minds in Romans 12. And in Romans 15:9, we read of the fact that we Gentiles, and I quote, might glorify God in his mercy, end quote, in living out our lives. Every day we should be doing all things to the glory of God, even if it's drinking a glass of water, as Paul mentions uh, whether it's eating our food, all that we do should be to the glory of God. It's not just you come here on a Tuesday and you're a Christian, you go to church on Sunday and you're a Christian. Every moment is part of that. And in Romans 12, be encouraged that God says that if you renew your mind, if your mind is renewed, you will then know what the will of God is. You will know how to live out your life in God's strength to his glory. It's not an endless matter of introspection. There is wisdom available to you through the renewing of your mind. And so this means we have to commit ourselves to meditation. This is maybe our final point of application. We need to give time to thinking about the new heavens and the new earth. It's, I know you have a lot of information that fills your brains at uni and at work. And, you know, it's an early slot. So you might get home and you're just like, who was that guy, Michael Pizzaroni, what's his name, glorification, what? We need to consistently think on and meditate on this. And so we see this in Colossians 3 where we read, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we must actively put our attention to the things above because there's so many things vying for our attention. And I think there's easy ways you can start doing this today. When you get home and you think of the abacus of all your sins, add a bit of glorification into your prayer. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for my sin. I'm thankful that Christ died for my sin and so that I will one day be raised imperishable and be with you forever. And if you just add that one line into your prayers, it will help you keep this on your minds each day. And then maybe set aside time on a Monday, Meditation Monday. Think about this during the week sometime. And finally, if... 
you're not a Christian here this morning, glorification is still for you. The Lord Jesus came and died so that you could have an eternal relationship with God. You cannot earn his favour by yourself. Christ died so that you have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. If you turn away from your sins, if you put them away and instead turn to Christ and believe in him and what he has done, you will have eternal life. And that's available for you. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you're at. He will be there. As it's written, his mercies are renewed each day. So if that's you and you're still exploring Christianity, talk to Andy, talk to Christine, um, talk to your peers around you. Don't let these opportunities go. Because when you enter the workforce and your days at Uni Fellowship are long behind you, um, you may regret that you haven't taken up that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you saved us through Christ. We thank you that we are a temple of your Holy Spirit and we thank you that your Spirit dwells within us. We thank you that we will one day be with you and we thank you that we will be perfected, that our bodies will be renewed and that our spirit will be cleansed of sin. Please help us to meditate on glorification and Lord, we pray that thinking on it will change how we see ourselves, how we live our lives and how we glorify you. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to glorify you today. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks.